Welcome to the Dreadcast. I'm Donovan Dread. In this episode, we're going to hear stories from six different people describing their very odd and strange encounters with the supernatural. But before we get into the stories, check out dreadsarmy.com for daily news of the strange and weird. Now here's the stories. Hey Donovan, I always look forward to seeing the latest video you put out. I always watch your videos on my lunch break at work. I'm obsessed with anything to do with the paranormal, and I have been since I had this experience as a kid. My dad was driving and I was in the passenger seat. We were going to visit my grandparents for the weekend, something we used to do about twice a month. It was about a two-hour drive up the Wyoming mountains surrounded by beautiful views and heavy woods. I always look forward to it because my dad and I could get some quality time together. On this night, it was very dark and a little foggy. My dad and I were making good time when we saw a man standing in the middle of the road. As we got closer, we realized that the man was completely naked. He was bald and didn't have any hair on his entire body. Damn meth heads, my dad said, something he said quite often. On top of being completely naked, the man looked weird. He had no expression on his face and was very pale. He started walking towards the car and it made my dad and I uncomfortable. As he got closer, I saw the eyes were completely black. Not dark, I mean black and beady. Something was definitely not right about this guy. As the man got closer, my dad put the car in reverse and was going to drive by him and continue down the road. As we started driving backwards, the man started running at us. My dad floored it and the scariest thing happened. The man dropped on all fours and ran at us at a crazy speed. He was salivating all over his face, and his neck kept popping back disturbingly as he ran. As soon as there was a little distance between us, my dad slammed on the brakes, put the car in drive, and swerved around whatever was chasing us. The creature dove towards the car and got really close to my car door, but we were able to escape untouched. I will always remember its face, a short distance from my window looking at me. It was the most horrible thing I've ever witnessed. It had these nasty yellow teeth that looked really sharp, and its body was ghostly white and veiny. But the worst part is still those little black soulless eyes. I turned and asked my dad what that thing was, and he told me that's what happens when you take meth. It was a pretty quiet ride after that. We were both trying to figure out what the hell that thing was. My dad kept looking in the rearview mirror during the drive and I know it was to make sure that that thing wouldn't get us. I mentioned to my dad that its neck moved around like crazy as it ran, and he explained that meth head's bones deteriorate from the drug use, and it causes it to look like that. I mentioned the sharp yellow teeth, and he said that soon they will even get worse and fall out due to the drug use. I asked how he was able to run so fast on all fours, and he said that they lose strength in their legs and they must learn to run around like that. I asked why its eyes were so black, and he said that meth attacked the eyes and made people go blind. He had an answer for everything, so I just dropped it, but I never forgot about it. When we got to my grandparents, I told them all about it. I told them about its freaky eyes, bizarre teeth, and nasty skin, and how it charged us on all fours, and they told me it was just my imagination. That really hurt having loved ones accuse me of lying. But later, I figured out that they were just trying to calm me down and protect me. I remember when we were heading home, I asked my dad if we were going to see the creature again. 
and he pretended like he didn't know what I was talking about. When I explained the creature and how it charged at us, he told me that it must have been a vivid nightmare. I knew I wasn't going crazy, and I was pissed at my dad. But being a parent now, I kind of get it. Life's tough enough as it is. Can't have your children worrying about something they can't defend themselves against. Back then, my dad blew it off, but now we talk about all the possible things it could have been. This thing definitely had a face, and a creepy one at that. We really don't know what it could have been. Everyone I've told this story to has a different opinion of what it could have been. Some have claimed it's a creature called a crawler, and that thing apparently also runs on all fours. Some people have told me that it was just an animal, and the fog made it look like a humanoid creature, which is just insulting. If I'm lucky enough for you to share my story on your channel, thank you in advance. If anyone listening to this has any ideas what this could be, please don't hesitate to share it. It would be nice to finally get to the bottom of this once and for all. And it would be really nice to share the answers with my dad the next time I see him. Donovan, I listen to your channel all the time, and I figured it was about time for me to send in this crazy experience I had. Some of the stories I've heard you read have been absolutely nuts. So maybe people won't think that I'm bad writing this to you. I've been a nurse for many years, and this happened to me shortly after I became an ER nurse. We had a patient flown in from a car wreck. He was in rough shape, broken limbs, bruises, covered in blood, and severe head trauma. You name it. We tried to save him, but he died in the operating room. They declared his time of death, and we started prepping him to get him out of there. All of a sudden, he wakes up and gasps for air. We put him under and treated him for severe internal hemorrhaging. It was honestly a miracle that he survived the surgery. Afterwards, he went into a coma, but he was still alive. A few weeks later, I went in to check on his vitals, his fluids, and all that fun stuff. I kid you not, he woke up and looked me right in the eyes and started moving. He started flailing and panicking, so I called for help. We put him back under and removed his feeding tube and everything. He stabilized a little later and was in awful shape, but he was very much alive and alert. We put him on a morphine drip, but it looked like he was on a long road to recovery. Eventually, he started to improve. He was eating regularly, and he maintained a positive outlook. He was doing pretty well. One day, I came to check on the Miracle Man. That was my nickname for him. He seemed like he was pretty good. And I was about to check on the next patient when he asked me something. Do you believe in heaven and hell? I wasn't the type to waste time on things that I couldn't understand, so I just responded, either something happens or nothing happens. Either way, we die. The next day, I checked on him again, and he brought up the same subject. He explained that he always believed in an afterlife, but now he believes in heaven and hell. I told him that if I had died on the operating table and came back to life, I might feel the same way. I saw it, he said to me. I felt it. I asked him to explain what he meant. And he said, I felt the heat. I heard the screams. I saw it. I saw hell. I tried to put him at ease and told him that he just underwent a tremendous amount of stress and probably hallucinated. His words stuck with me, though. I saw him dead for several minutes. Is it possible his soul left the earth and he saw hell? He requested to be wheeled into the hospital chapel several times a day and became obsessed with what he saw and experienced. Every time I'd visit him, he'd talk about how he didn't want to go back to hell 
and wanted to turn his life around before it was too late. A few months later, he eventually turned a corner and improved further. He left without many complications and is still doing well. That man found God and became a minister. He felt the need to uphold something that he saw when he died. So he dedicated his life to it, to do well and to do good. We still keep in touch today, and sometimes I go to his services. Thanks for your time, Donovan. Hey, Donovan. Your channel has interested me for quite some time now. I have something that I rarely tell people because it's awful, and it took me years to process it. I've owned a successful pest control company for 15 years now, and I'm proud to have built it from the ground up. I started with nothing, and now I have 50 employees and a near-impeccable customer satisfaction rating. The incident I referred to happened to me in the first couple years when I started my business. I got a call from an elderly woman who complained about having a fly infestation. Elderly people always tug at my heart because my grandparents raised me, and they didn't have a lot of money. We had cockroaches, fleas, mice, and all kinds of pests, so I can't turn the elderly down no matter how bad the job is. Fly infestations typically mean the job will be nasty. Flies breed and feed in filth like trash, feces, spoiled food, and that kind of thing. I was expecting the worst, but willing to do my best for this woman in need. I drove over to her house, and it was a nice neighborhood and looked nice from the outside. She had a nice flower garden and a white picket fence that closed in the backyard. The house was probably built in the 1950s, but it looked like it was in great shape. But you can't judge a book by its cover, so I anticipated the worst inside the house. I knocked on the door, and this sweetest little old lady answered the door. She mentioned she lived alone, and it was hard for her to go up and down the stairs so she hadn't been down there in a while. This is what I was expecting to hear, so I told her I would take care of the problem. I asked her if the problem was exclusively in the basement, and she mentioned that sometimes they come up to the main level as well. I did some light routine spraying around to deter bugs from coming up, and sprayed the outside perimeter of the house with some heavy-duty bug killer. Now it was time to go downstairs, so I got all of my equipment on. When I opened the door to the basement, I was expecting the smell to be horrendous. But it didn't have much of a smell at all, just damp and old smelling. I walked down the stairs and turned on the light to the basement. There was lots of non-perishable food, but no real smell. I kept looking around, but I didn't find anything out of the ordinary. I also didn't see a single fly. I went upstairs and told the woman I was going to check up in her attic for bugs. She insisted they were coming from the basement. I told her I wanted to cover all the bases and climb the ladder up into the attic. The attic didn't show any signs of infestation. There was an occasional dead bug, but it was much cleaner than I was expecting. I sprayed up there just to be safe and headed down back the ladder. I told the woman I didn't see any sign of infestation, and she said that they only come up at night. Keeping in mind that she was old, I told her that I sprayed and I took care of the problem, and that if she has any other issues to let me know. That same night, I got a call from the same lady. She sounded scared and kept yelling, they're coming, they're coming. So I got in my truck and I headed over to her house. I grabbed my gear and I knocked on the front door. She yelled, thank God you're here as she opened the door. She brought me over to the basement door and sure enough, there were lots of flies gathered around the basement door. I told her to get into the other room because I was going to spray. I sprayed the flies and they all dropped dead. 
I opened the basement door, and all the way down into the basement there were flies buzzing all around. I sprayed as I walked down, killing all the flies. Finally, I got downstairs, and it was absolutely covered in flies. I had never seen so many flies. I sprayed and sprayed until finally I had to go to my truck and refill my tank. After refilling the tank, I grabbed a vacuum as well so I could suck up all the dead flies. I made my way down the stairs, vacuuming up all the flies along the way. As I got back into the basement, I must have been vacuuming up hundreds of flies every minute. It was unbelievable. Then, all of a sudden, all the lights went out and I saw a pale white glowing girl with long black hair. She had the most wicked look in her eyes. I was in total shock and it made me yell. Then the lights came back on and she disappeared. I ran upstairs and I was going to leave, but the thought of leaving that poor old woman alone with that thing just didn't seem right. Plus, I had left all my equipment in the basement. After about five minutes of catching my breath, I went back downstairs, finished vacuuming the flies up, sprayed again for good measure, and told the woman I was finished. About a week later, she called me and thanked me. She said that she hasn't seen a fly since, and that she would let her friends know about my services. I hung up the phone and tried not to give it any more thought, but I'll never forget that girl's face. I don't want to give away too many personal details, because I'm not sure what I'm allowed to talk about, and what will get government suits knocking on my door. The Pentagon released those UFO tapes in 2020, so none of this should be too controversial for Uncle Sam. What I will say is that I served in the United States Navy from 2015 to 2019. I spent nearly all my time in the Navy on aircraft carriers. I wasn't a pilot or anything cool like that, but I had a good time in the Navy. My best memories are from when I was part of the 7th Fleet. Yokosuka was a fun place to be stationed. At least when the sailors and the marines there weren't doing something stupid, it was fun. The command would take away off-base privileges if we got too rowdy in town and the local authorities complained. Sometimes the Japanese could be a bit touchy about stuff. I won't mention any specific ships, but we patrolled the Pacific around Japan, China, and Indonesia. Basically all around Asia and the South Pacific. Things were a little hot back then. Still are, I hear, because China keeps trying to assert its dominance in the South China Sea. Dumb things like building bases near major international shipping lanes and then claiming that part of the sea as their territorial waters. Real geopolitical pissing contest stuff. Regardless, we were always on mission. This is around 2017 and 2018. Playing chicken with the Chinese Navy making sure they knew we didn't respect their imaginary boundaries by flying over them. We weren't looking for a fight or anything, but we always prepared like one would break out. It's standard Navy operating procedure. I was an aviation ordinsman, AO for short, so it was my job to make sure the planes had their weapons serviced and ammo fully stocked for a firefight. The dogs with the biggest teeth fight the least, my chief always said. I was out on the carrier deck one evening, loading some ordnance onto a recently returned jet, when I heard some chatter on the comms. My headset was a bit crappy, so I couldn't get some of it, but I saw a yellow shirt, the guy who waves the jets in, looking up into the sky intently. I asked the yellow shirt what was up, and he said one of our pilots saw something weird in the air. I was a little jumpy when I heard that. 
We were close to the disputed border. I figured China launched a few planes of their own to test out our nerve. I didn't want to be part of an international incident. The pilot was circling the ship at different altitudes. I could make out over the comms that he was searching for something that dropped off his radar. This went on for a while. Eventually, he was ordered to land and refuel. I didn't know the pilot, but I'd seen him around the chow hall in the gym. He had a pretty heavy deadlift, so I noticed him before. I went over to his plane and checked on his armaments. I knew they were good because my buddy Ryan worked the day shift and his crew put them on, but I wanted to get close enough to hear what the pilot was saying to the yellow shirt. It's crazy loud on the flight deck, so you have to be right on top of people to hear them. The pilot didn't say much, just that he had caught something on his radar that was moving strangely, not like a jet, not even obeying basic physics. That was creepy. Maybe a new kind of Chinese drone. Top Brass must have liked the idea even less than me, because we dropped anchor and stayed put for another three days. We had to work port and starboard, meaning half the ship works for 12 hours and the other half works for 12, launching and refueling planes on loop while they're searching for the strange object. It was miserable. We had just enough time after our shift to shower, eat, and sleep before we had to muster back on the flight deck. The command refused to use the word UFO, but some of the crew was starting to say it couldn't have been a new Chinese drone, and the pilot who saw it was clearly freaked out. I've never been a big believer in UFOs, but on the third night of anchor, I saw something that I know human technology cannot do. I was on the flight deck checking the missiles on a jet when an extremely bright bluish light flooded the sky. It was so harsh that we couldn't look at it but it somehow still illuminated everything perfectly evenly. The strangest thing about it was how the light looked blue, silver, or green depending on what angle you looked at it. The light shot backwards and then up in a zigzag pattern. It didn't accelerate or slow down between maneuvers. It stopped and started like inertia and air resistance didn't exist. It moved like a giant invisible hand was just jerking it around in the sky like a kid playing with a toy airplane. The light was still for a few minutes, and then slowly circled the carrier deck in a wide arc. It was about a quarter of a mile away, but the light was easy to spot. Our comms gear was going wild. I could hear snippets of voices trying to give us orders, but a metallic humming blocked any coherent messages from getting through. A green shirt finally pieced enough of the message together to know they wanted us to launch every available jet that was currently on deck. We launched the first plane as fast as we could, and I watched it take off, and bank wide left to approach the humming blue-silver-green light. I don't think anyone on flight deck was breathing as the plane approached. When the jet got within a few hundred yards, the light just dropped out of the sky like it was a puppet whose strings were cut. We all ran to the edge of the deck, but there was no splash or sound of impact. The light was just gone. For four more days, we worked continuously to launch and land planes, searching every inch of ocean for a sign of that strange aircraft. I even heard they pulled one of our ballistic submarines from their post to search the seabed. They never touch the submarines for anything. They are our greatest nuclear deterrent. We spent another two days in debriefing rooms where they told everyone on deck and the control tower who saw the incident to keep our mouths shut. They used legal language, of course, but the message was the same. 
Not sure if this is still supposed to be hush-hush, with the release of all those UFO videos, but I thought it was time I share my personal experience. If anyone from the government reads this, my name is John Smith. When I was a kid, I used to live in Salem, Massachusetts. I don't know if you know anything about that area, but it's definitely associated with a lot of strange history. We lived near the Chestnut Street District, which has some of the oldest houses in the country. We didn't have one of those fancy mansions like in the actual district. Our house had quite a few rooms, but it really needed some attention. I really loved that house, though. It had a tall staircase with the best banister to slide down, and it had these cool French double doors with a lot of square panes of glass. There was a clawfoot tub in the upstairs bathroom. I was five or six years old, and I was really happy there, but for some reason, I didn't feel comfortable in my room at night. I'd be trying to fall asleep, and I would seem to sense someone circling around my bed. Usually, when I opened my eyes, I wouldn't see anything, but a couple of times, I thought I saw this woman sitting at the bottom of my bed holding a child. She just sat there staring at the child in her lap. It didn't seem very old, maybe three or four. It seemed to have dark splotches on its arms and legs. It looked like it was wearing a bonnet. But the apparition, or whatever it was, seemed really faint. Just shadowy, and it seemed to come in and out of focus. And like I said, it only happened a few times. But the feeling of discomfort I had was often there. I would feel too warm and want to kick off my blankets. But I was too afraid to uncover myself. I would call out for my mom and dad. They would come up to see what was wrong, but I seemed to know that they wouldn't believe me if I told them, so I always complained that something hurt. Then, one of them would usually stay with me until I fell asleep. My brother slept in a bed next to me in the same room. He never seemed to notice anything, but he was a lot younger. I spent most of my time outside. My mom didn't like any of the neighborhood kids to come in the house. She was really fussy about anybody making a mess and she really didn't want to have to provide them with any snacks or drinks. They would come fetch me to play by standing at the front window with their faces pressed against the glass. When I noticed them, I would go out to play. They knew better than to knock on the door or ring the doorbell. She didn't really care much for other children. I was allowed to roam all up and down the block. I was even allowed to go to the candy store on the corner. Well, to me, it was a candy store, but I bet it was a store for all kinds of things. I would choose my candy, and then if I had enough money left over, I would always buy one of those little pinwheels. I would blow on it and make it spin all the way home, and then I would plant it in the rose garden in the backyard. I had gotten quite a collection of them. The rose garden was one of my favorite things about that old house. It was planted in a circular brick border and had the old-fashioned kinds of roses, the ones that smell so sweet. There were four or five kids in the neighborhood that I was good friends with. When the weather was warm, we would walk to kindergarten together in the morning. We were in the same class, so we were usually on the same page as to the games we liked to play and the songs we liked to sing. One afternoon, we were in my backyard together. That morning at school, we had been playing Ring Around the Rosies. My rose garden seemed to remind us of the song, so we joined hands and started to circle around singing the song. We went around a few times and fell down laughing. About the third time as we were all getting up, Something really weird happened. All of the pinwheels around the roses started spinning so fast. There wasn't any wind. It was hot and sunny. 
We stared at the pinwheels and honestly, it felt really creepy. We stopped the game and then everybody just kind of wandered off home. I went inside and went to the living room to find something to do. I had just sat down on the floor when I noticed someone at the front window with their face against the glass. I thought that was weird since we had just left each other. I stood up to see who it was, and it was the child from my room, the one with the bonnet and the splotches on its skin. I ran out of there fast. My mother didn't know what I was talking about, especially as the child was gone when we went back. But I was the most scared I had ever been. As an adult, I researched the history of that house. I discovered that one of the original inhabitants was a woman who had fled England to escape the bubonic plague, and her child had died from it. I also discovered that the rose's rhyme came from the plague that affected London in the year 1665. The rhyme seems innocent, but it has a dark meaning. Those roses stand for deadly rashes. The posies were supposed to prevent the illness and the uh, tissues imitated sneezing symptoms, and the implication of everyone falling down is, well, death. I don't even blame anyone if they don't believe this story. I wouldn't believe it either if it hadn't happened to me. Hell, my ex-girlfriend was there too, and she still doesn't believe it. I guess introductions are in order. My name is Chase, and I'm a 21-year-old college student from Fresno. During the pandemic, I met a nice girl from Oregon named Presley online, and we really hit it off. After a year of talking and Skype calling, we decided it was finally time to meet in person. Instead of just getting together for a weekend at one or the other of our places like normal people would do, we decided to take a cross-country road trip together before classes started back in the fall. What could go wrong? Apparently everything. While I could write a novel on all of the horrors we encountered before reaching New York, including bad Airbnb experiences, a flat tire, and multiple arguments, our night in New York was the biggie. My mother always told me never to talk bad about a woman, but I would be remiss if I didn't mention that Presley's personality in person was much different than the girl I thought I had come to know online. Nothing impressed her, but I tried my hardest to show her a good time anyway. By the time we got to New York, things between us looked pretty rocky. She had already called home crying and talked to her mother at least three times, and had even gone as far as saying that she might catch a plane in Maine and not make the return drive with me. Despite our struggles, I really didn't want to wind up broken up before our relationship had a chance to gain footing in the real world. I did a quick search from the bathroom at a gas station and found information on the Falling Waters Preserve in rural New York. The photos made it look crazy romantic, and I thought if anything was going to save us, it'd be that place. It was a little more difficult to find than I expected, though, and she got pretty annoyed with me getting us lost out in the middle of nowhere without telling her where we're going. By the time we got there, it was dark. You couldn't even really see the falls. We were just out in the dark woods for nothing. She headed off down the trail ahead of me, slapping mosquitoes away the whole time. I started following behind her, but then got distracted by this strange sound. It's hard to describe exactly what it sounded like. It was almost like the sound you hear when you pull zip ties tight, and it just kept going. Then there was a sound of rustling in the branches all around me. Presley, I called out. It didn't seem like she was in the prank-playing mood, but I was hoping that it would be her rustling around in those bushes trying to scare me. 
any alternative was too horrifying to think about. I didn't hear anything. Whatever it was stopped moving. It was just making these clicking sounds. She didn't call back to me, so I thought maybe I was just freaking out over nothing. Maybe it had just been a rabbit or a squirrel. Rodents sometimes make funny noises, right? I continued down the path towards the car, but out of the corner of my eye, I saw something white move very quickly beside me in the woods. I turned and looked, and there, looking at me face to face, was the ugliest creature I'd ever laid eyes on. I'm 5'10", and I'd venture a guess that if this thing stood up straight, it would have been about as tall as me but it was down on all fours with its back leg joints inverted like a dog's. Otherwise, it looked like a pasty white pale naked person. In fact, I can tell you it was obviously male if you get my drift. Its face, though, wasn't like a human's at all. It was very gaunt and hollowed out, like you'd expect a corpse to look after a while. There was no nose. It was completely hairless. No eyebrows and no leg hair, nothing. And its eyes were solid black no whites to be seen. I stood there for a moment, frozen in fear. Then I started backing away slowly, trembling in my boots. It opened up its wide mouth, revealing these razor-sharp dog-like teeth, and a long tongue that unrolled from its mouth as it screeched. Then it took off running away from me through the woods in a flash. I turned and ran straight back to the car myself, and found Presley sitting in the front seat waiting impatiently. I started the car, frantically telling her about everything that had just happened. She barely looked up from her phone at first. When I finished the story, though, she turned to give me this disbelieving look and asked, Why would you make something up like that? I started to say, Exactly. Why would I? Needless to say, Presley caught a plane home the next morning and hasn't spoken to me since. She thinks I just made the entire thing up. I know what I saw, though, and I did not make this up. 